Good morning and welcome to Sailorville Church Online. Thank you for being here this morning and uh, wherever you're coming from, your living room or bedroom, wherever you're gathering right now, thanks for being here to open God's Word together. My name is Pastor Paul Seymour. I'm the pastor of music here at Sailorville Church and also on the counseling team. And it's uh, my pleasure just to be here with you this morning. If you would open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15, we're continuing our series in Exodus this week. Um, and we are in chapter 15, if you'd go there with me. Last week in Exodus 14, we saw how God brought about a miracle of deliverance for his chosen people. Now, of course, hindsight is always 2020, as they say. And uh, for a lot of us, we might want to put 2020 in hindsight with everything that's gone on. But as we look back on the children of Israel and the things that, that happened, and the things that they did and how God delivered them and how they complained and murmured, as we're going to see going forward, it may be easy for us in hindsight to shake our heads at them for their unbelief in the God who delivered them after all they'd seen him do. Can you imagine for a moment what you would have been thinking though, if you were standing there on the shore before the waters parted? I can imagine it was me standing there on the seashore. I'm exhausted from walking around the arid wilderness, dizzy from the flurry of unexpected events that have upended all I knew. I'm awed by the divine pillar that has been leading all of us, and at the same time, confusingly, terrified of the massive cloud of soldiers bearing down on us, threatening to take our lives and our freedom away from us, seemingly just as quickly as it was given to us by the one in the pillar. They are so many. They are so powerful. They are so determined. They are so well equipped. How can I stand? How can I protect my family? What will become of my people? Wouldn't, have been, wouldn't it have been better to live in slavery than to die in the desert? I'm starting to struggle with if the pillar is more impressive or if that dark army is. I'm shifting my eyes and thoughts to our human leader and begin to simply hope he knows what he's doing. I've shifted my gaze to him, the human leader, because I've also started to wonder if the one in the pillar knows what he's doing or worse. Maybe he does know, and this great army that has me trapped is his punishment for my unbelief and my doubt. And the why is killing me. Why would the one in the pillar lead us out of bondage just to let us be enslaved again or decimated? Was his promise of freedom empty? Why did we listen to this Moses character? What in the world is going on here? And then as we saw last week, God fights for his people. God miraculously opens up the Red Sea so that the children of Israel walk through on dry ground with walls of water on their left and their right. They cross safely and God, divinely intervening, brings the walls of water down on the most powerful army in the world, utterly defeating them. And then we're standing on the other side of God's victory looking at it from a place of victory. And if I know myself, I might be happy about that for a second, but then I turn around and look at the desert in front of me and I would wonder, what's next? Yeah, God, you beat those guys, but what about what could come up next? I may start to doubt again. I can imagine it was me because it kind of is me. Maybe it's kind of you too. There's a little Exodus era Israelite in all of us. Many of you have noticed that for the past several weeks, month or so, um, month and a half, I have been absent from a lot of these um, videos and, and, and services that we've been streaming uh, since the situation we are now in started. And uh, that is because, uh, as many of you know, I've done some, some writing and some, some video on it, about videoing on it, but uh, I have been struggling with some, some anxiety and depression like I have before in my life, and I've tried to be very open about it. But God has been taking me through uh, a valley um, on March 12th uh, when a lot of the news of the um, pandemic came down. It was sort of the, the last final weight that uh, was put on top of a lot of other things. 
and it sort of uh, broke my emotional back, so to speak, and I went down hard. But God in, God in his mercy has been gracious to me. He's given me a lot of grace in the way of people. Many of you out there uh, have been praying for me through this dark valley I've had to walk and have been walking. Pastor Kurt and uh, Pastor Dave and all of our staff uh, and elders have come alongside me, which I'm so grateful for. Thank you for all of you uh, that have uh, gone to war for me with the Lord. But one of the things that was uh, a huge factor in, in going down that valley and has been for me and maybe is for a lot of you. In fact, I know it is for a lot of you because I've talked to some of you. Um, but it's the fear of the future and the realization that I have no or very little control really over the things in the future. Maybe that's you too. Probably is for a fair amount of you. Maybe the solution this morning as we look at the, books of, the book of Exodus is this song. Exodus chapter 15 is a song. It's a song of remembrance. It's a song of um, commemoration of what God has done. Written by Moses after God delivered them as they crossed the, after they crossed the sea. A song about God's power, what he's accomplished in the past. His faithfulness to us right now and his continual leading us in the future. Let's take a moment. I've invited my friend Isaac Miller. He's going to read God's word. Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. So follow along with him if you would. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength, and he is my song. And he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. I will divide my spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard and they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Thank you, Isaac. Appreciate that. This passage in Exodus 15 is referred to as the Song of Moses, or sometimes the Song of the Sea. As I said before, it's a commemoration of God's saving work for his people over the Egyptians. Commemoration is to remember, to show honor by creating or doing something, to call to mind. Moses was creating something in this song that could be repeated and called to mind as they faced going forward to remind the people of Israel of God's faithfulness. Songs have a great power to trigger our memories, don't they? We can all figure uh, or remember 
uh, songs that we know in the past that evoke a time in the past or even uh, it's why um, companies use jingles and things to get you to remember their product because songs stick into your memory, memory anything that is attached to them. As we look to the future and as we realize how very little control we have in life's events and the things that God has us walk through, we must learn to trust the God who is leading us. That's what I've been learning through this time, what he's been teaching me. And a lot of times he teaches us in hard circumstances, doesn't he? I think that's the only way I learn sometimes. He is the one in the cloud and in the fire that's leading us. We must learn to trust him more than we fear the circumstances and possibilities of the future. In Psalm 9, verse 10, it says, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. God never leaves us or forsakes us. So we put our trust, we choose to place our trust in him. Today, by way of commemoration to help you uh, remember to put your trust in him as we look out at the future, which is uncertain whether we face a pandemic or not. We don't know what's happening, but our God does. So as in commemoration, I want to give three questions that you can continually ask yourself to fix your mind back on the God who is in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, the one who loves you that won't forsake you. And I'm speaking to Christians initially here this morning. We're singing from a place of victory. Remember, Moses and the Israelites could sing this song from a place of victory. God had delivered them. And if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God has delivered you from sin and death. He's taken you out of the kingdom of darkness and put you into the kingdom of light. So you can sing not from a position of, oh, I hope God delivers me. You can sing from a position of God has delivered me, which has been such a consolation from the valley that I've walked through lately. One of my favorite verses recently has been Romans 15, 13. It won't come up on the screen, but it says, uh, now may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound with, bound with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. For believers, we need to remember God's work in our lives. And as we believe and place our trust in him, he gives us hope. He gives us hope for the future. So the first question this morning, you need to ask yourself as you sing, or as we look at this song that Moses sung is, where do I look to find my strength? Where do I look to find my strength? Right before World War II uh, in Pasadena, California, there was a, uh, the annual Rose Parade and there was a float that was entered in that parade covered with beautiful roses and uh, uh, a massive float uh, to go down the main street there of the parade. And it was a sight to behold, it was beautiful. The theme of the parade was be prepared. Right in the middle of the parade, the float ran out of gas and ground to a halt. The attendants had to run and get a gas can and refuel it and get it going again so the whole parade could start again. Who did the float belong to? The Standard Oil Company. The gas company, with all its vast resources of gas, hadn't filled up on its own product to make its own float go. Have you prepared yourself for the uncertainties of life by learning to look for your strength, for your power, from the vast resources that are available to you from the Almighty God who made you? Let's look at Exodus 15. One through three. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, the Lord is his name. Moses says, the Lord is my strength. Look what he's done. One of my favorite verses is uh, Psalm 61, I believe it's verse two. Um, 
When my heart is overwhelmed, I will cling to the rock that is higher than I. God is a God of strength, the rock that doesn't move. When the world around us changes, as it has so much recently, things seemingly go crazy. God and his word stand true, stand strong. As we look to God for our strength, as we choose to look to him and not to other things, not to our financial resources or even to the, uh, the, the people around us necessarily, ultimately, our job, our securities, as we look to him for our strength, we can rest. We can rest in his sovereignty. You know that we serve a sovereign God? And sovereign just means, as many of you know, that he is completely in control of all events throughout all history. Look what God did back in uh, chapter 14 of Exodus that Pastor Pat uh, taught us last week. In verses 2 through 4, this is what God says. Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Haroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. God in his sovereignty told Moses, I'm going to put you in a place that is really kind of a precarious place. I'm going to cause Pharaoh to come after you, and you're going to be pinned in in a place between this vast army and a sea, which is seemingly inescapable. But God is a God who, when he leads us someplace, he also leads us out. If he leads us into a hard place, he leads us out. The God that leads us in will lead us out. He's sovereign God, and he's in control of all things. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, that's us as believers, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Our God works all things according to the counsel of his will, whether they're leaders or sicknesses, all the circumstances of his life, of our life, he is orchestrating for his glory and for our good as his children. We also, as we look to him for our strength, fill up on his strength that's available to us through his word, we can find joy in his goodness. Now, I've said this before in, in some other things, but wouldn't it be terrible if God was sovereign, but he wasn't good? But he is sovereign, he is good. If I am in a car and the driver is completely in control of the car, but he has, my, uh, has bad intentions towards me and he wants to drive me into a ditch, well, that's not a good situation. But we have a God that is both sovereign and good. One of my favorite passages to go to throughout my ordeal as I struggle with anxiety, some depression, uh, Psalm 103. I've read it over and over and over and over. And here, one of the reasons I've read it is because it describes God's character, his good character, what he is like, how he acts towards me. Here's what it says in a few of its verses. It's Psalm 103, verses 6 through 14. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God loves me. God loves you. He has, if, 
he has compassion for his children. I love that part of the verse, and it almost makes me uh, cry every time I read it, honestly. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He's not surprised by our fear or intimidated by our fear. He knows. He's compassionate toward us. And he calls us to put our trust in him because he's the, he's the strength. Not, not we ourselves. He's our strength. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and this is the next as we, next thing as we look to God for our strength, we hope in his promises because he's going to work through our weakness. He remembers we're dust. He's going to work through our weakness. Uh, excuse me, Exodus 14, verses 13 through 14. I'll read that first. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only you have only to be silent. God told Moses, in essence, you don't have to be strong. Stand still and watch me work. Put your trust in me. Stand still and watch me work. But so many of us, we want to do. We want to have control. We want to make the remedy ourselves. And while we do need to act in obedience to God's word, many times he says this to us as well. Stand still. The Lord will fight for you. All you have to do is be silent. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 12, which I mentioned before. Paul, Paul the Apostle Paul, was suffering with uh, a malady, which we're not sure exactly what it was, but he asked God to take it away. God said no several times. And God said to him this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then... I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Where are you looking to find your strength? Is it in yourself? God is the rock that is higher than we are. Psalm 61. When my heart is overwhelmed, I will cling to the rock that is higher than I. I can't do this on my own. God knows it. And when we submit to him, when we say, God, I'm weak, I can't do anything against this army. In his strength, he acts. He fights for us. For a moment, we're going to pause and worship God uh, with Curtis and the band for his strength. So would you go ahead and, and sing with us? And we'll get back into God's word in just a moment. Thanks for worshiping together as a church. I love that we can still sing and worship all over the place together. And uh, I'm really looking forward to the time as I sit in this big room. I'm really looking forward to the time we can sing together again. We can fill this place with our songs. The second question I want to bring for you today has to do with a song, actually. And if you go back to verse 2 of chapter 15, Moses writes, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. As I thought about that, I thought, what does that mean to have the Lord as my song? Well, it certainly means that, that he's our theme, like our theme song should be the overarching banner of our life. But I thought about it in this context, too. And here's the question I want you to think about. What song do I have on repeat? In my house, one of the hardest things about the quarantine and, and staying in has uh, been every once in a while there will be a song that just gets stuck in the kids' heads and they sing it over and over and over. <laughs> and a couple times that we've, you, you hear them singing it and you'll hear across the house, stop. One of the songs has been uh, the theme from Frozen 2 or one of the melodies. Ah. It just kind of rings out across the house. It seems like every five minutes sometimes. But the real good one has been uh, one of my daughters um, has taken to singing Oh, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. <laughs> it's May, and I really don't like that song. <laughs> but uh, I love that they sing, but when it's repeated over and over and over, it sticks in your head and you can't get rid of it. But that's what songs do. 
they stick in your head. And what you have on repeat in your head, in our lives, the things that we keep saying to ourselves, they become our theme and we start to believe them a lot of times. But look in the, in the song of Moses, Exodus 15. I wanted to skip through a few verses here. Uh, in 15.1, Moses said to the people of Israel, the Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Then skip down to verses four and five. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he has cast into the sea and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them and they went down to the depths like a stone. Verse 10, you blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Verse 12, you stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. Verse 19, for when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters and sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. And verse 21, and Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Over and over and over the song to commemorate God's victory preaches that God defeated a powerful enemy. If the song of God's faithfulness, the song of God's strength is repeated on our, on, our, on our hearts and on our lips continually in our minds, we'll be continually preaching the gospel to ourselves. This is one of the things that has helped me so much is every morning developing a habit of preaching the gospel to myself. Again, I would go back to Psalm 103, just the beginning of it. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Aspects of God's character in the, in the gospel, what he has done for me. And as I read before, he separated my sins as far as the east is from the west. And I go through various places in Romans and Psalms and I, I saturate my mind with the gospel. You need to be preaching the gospel to yourself and put it on repeat every day. Paul Tripp says preaching the gospel to yourself has to be offensive and defensive. It has to be proactive and reactive. And what does that mean? Offensive means that I'm hiding God's word in my heart. I'm preparing so that when things come up, I can also be defensive. When th situations come up in my life, I can have scripture there and I can have it at the ready to fight those fiery darts that the enemy is throwing at us, to fight the temptation to sin. So we need to be preaching the gospel to yourself. Pastor Pat has said a lot before, you are the preacher you listen to the most, and it's true. You're the preacher you listen to the most. You got to make sure the sermon's a good sermon, full and rich with the gospel. Also having this song on repeat, you have to be repeating and rehearsing God's gracious acts in your life. One of the gospels that I've been in lately is Matthew. And I recently went through chapter 14 and 15 and it's kind of amazing. In chapter 14, we see the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus takes a small amount of loaves and fishes and turns it into a massive amount of food. And then the very next chapter in uh, verse, uh, chapter, chapter 15, uh, there's the feeding of the 4,000. And, and uh, the disciples, as, as Jesus is, is wanting to feed the crowd of 4,000 men, besides women and children, as he's wanting to feed them, the disciples basically say, we don't have enough money or resources to get all the food to fe feed these people. You think, wasn't it just a little bit ago, a little, just not too far away where, where Jesus just fed 5,000 men besides the women and children? And you're questioning where the food is coming from? We need to be rehearsing God's gracious acts in our own life so that when the next thing comes up, we remember God's faithful. God's been faithful to me. Psalm 145, verse 4 says, one generation shall commend your works to another 
and shall declare your mighty acts. We need to be declaring God's mighty acts continually, not just to ourselves, but to our family, to our children, to our coworkers. This is what God has done for me. Rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. In, in the band, there's a saying that we have, uh, and it's, uh, don't rehearse till you get it right. Rehearse till you can't get it wrong. Keep rehearsing God's promises. Keep rehearsing what God has done in your life so that you can remember that he's faithful. I love Philippians chapter four. It's one of the go-to passages if you uh, struggle with anxiety and depression. Um, and it, it tells us that we are to um, take things to God with thanksgiving, right? It says, be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the God of peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Why with thanksgiving? Because when we, are, we take our prayers to God with thanksgiving, it forces us to remember, God, you've done you've acted faithfully before in my life and you're not going to stop now. I'm going to bring my request to you because you're good and you're faithful to me. I've seen it already. I'm going to see it again. So we rehearse God's gracious acts in our life and our song has to be distinct to those watching. It'll be distinct because it's personal. I notice at the beginning of chapter 15, uh, it says, Moses says, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. Even though it's a national song, a commemoration, he says, I will sing. When it comes to God's promises, what's true for all of us together is true for us individually as believers as well. I will sing to the Lord for what he has done. We will sing to the Lord for what he has done. Make that song personal. Our songs are what we beautify and what we adorn. I was just writing a song the other day uh, for the church, actually. And I just am so nitpicky about it. I just keep going back and, oh, that's not the right word. I want that to be better. I race and I, I, I write again and I edit and I race and I write again because I want to be beautiful. I want to adorn it. That's what we should be doing as well in our, uh, our, our lives, our songs that we are singing to the world around us, what has become true of us because we've repeated it. You need to make it beautiful and adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. And also, our songs are what we make loud. Um, some of, some of uh, if you've been to a service here at Southerville before, some of you might like it a little bit louder. Some of you might, might not like it a little bit louder. That's okay either way. Um, but uh, regardless, what we believe, we make loud in our lives. What we rehearse, we make loud in our lives. Let your song of the gospel, what you repeat in your heart, be loud on the outside, to the outside world, to your kids, to your families, to your coworkers. Let it be loud. Let it be distinct. But you may ask, and you may be saying to yourself right now, especially if you felt like me lately, it's hard to sing. It's hard to rehearse those things when I'm in a valley. It's hard when I hurt, when I'm unsure, and I understand that. Um, you may ask, why does God let us go through hard times? Why does he do that? I use this illustration a lot, but when my son, Isaiah, uh, went through cancer back when he was a year old, uh, we had to, what they called flushing out his port. He had a port in his chest, and we had to put saline solution through it to keep it clean, to keep it sterile. And when we did that, we had to lay him on a, a sterile field at home. We had these kits we opened up, and we had to glove up and mask up, something we're maybe all familiar with now. But uh, we had to put these masks and gloves on to be sterile, to be able to safely clean that port. And Steph's job was to, to uh, put that saline solution in the port and do it carefully. And my job with my thumb and pinky and my thumb and pinky was to hold down my son by his wrists and his ankles stretched out on the bed so that he wouldn't thrash and, and uh, grab that port and do damage to it, thereby hurting himself more. And he, would, he used to look terrified. He was scared. Mom and dad are in masks. I'm being held down. I don't like this. This hurts. This is scary. What he didn't know is, as his mother and father, 
we had his best interest at heart. We were keeping him safe. We were taking him to a better place than he was now. We were taking him to a place of, from a place of sickness to a place of, of wellness, but he had to walk through a scary situation that he didn't understand to get to that place. And if I could have communicated my motivation to him at the time, it would have been, I love you, it's going to be okay, trust me. He didn't understand that at the time. But my heart for him was love, and God's heart for us is love. And even when he, helps, he, even when he causes us to walk through scary situations, scary circumstances, things that bring up fear in our hearts, his heart for us is, trust me, I have your good in mind. I love you. I'm taking you to a place that's better where you are now than where you are right now. Let's go ahead and sing to the Lord again. Um, you may not know this song, uh, but that's okay. You can listen to it. Just listen to the words of it, and uh, it, it'll bless your heart. This is one of my favorite songs lately. It'll bless your heart as it has mine. So uh, sing together if you like, or just listen. Let's worship together once more. And finally this morning, the last question is, who do I look to for my salvation? Again, Exodus 15, 2 and 3. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. There was a marshal in Napoleon's army. He was devotedly and enthusiastically attached to Napoleon, but he was wounded in a battle and he was mortally wounded. The surgeons did their best, but he was fading fast. And as he was, he called Napoleon to his side. Napoleon came. The poor man thought that his emperor could do anything, perhaps he even put him in the place of God. So he pleaded with the, the leader to save his life. The emperor sadly shook his head and turned away. But as the man lay there dying, he could be heard crying out as Napoleon walked away, Save me, Napoleon, save me! In the hour of death, the soldier discovered that even the most powerful Napoleon could not give him physical life. Who do you look to your, for your salvation? Look at what the Israelites did in Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. One chapter back. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They were looking backwards. They were looking at the strength of the Egyptians. And even though their situation was terrible in Egypt, at least they would have lived and not been overrun by this army as they had taken their eyes off the God who was protecting them in the, the pillar and they had put their eyes on the fearsome army, the best and, the best and brightest soldiers, the, the chapter 15 tells us. And by the way, why do we make so much of the strength of the enemy when God does not? He makes much of his own strength. If you look at verse 9, uh, just, just as an aside, if you look at verse 9, that's the only verse in the entire song that talks anything about what the enemy was going to do, and the rest of it talks about what God was going to do. But where does our salvation come from? Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. We won't be saved by our, all the things we look to for security in this life. Jesus Christ is the one that saves. When I realize that Jesus Christ is the one that saves me, when I look to him for my salvation, one of the things I begin to do is I throw away my worthless idols. One of the things that I was, was brought to just stark reality in my own life is the amount of idols that I had that I was looking to, that I was running to, 
in scary situations or for comfort in this life. Some of my idols were things like, I deserve to have a, I deserve to have a pain-free life. Nothing's gonna go wrong. I've paid my dues with what my son went through. Um, things should be okay from now on. One of my idols was control. I need to be in control of everything. When that's obviously not the case. One of my idols was, to a certain extent, materialism, which I'm trying to kill all these idols in my life. But as we throw down our idols, we need to, we need to be forsaking them, forsaking all other sources of trust. In the scripture there it says, he has become my salvation. I'm forsaking other sources of trust and I'm looking to Jesus alone for my salvation. Before I looked elsewhere, before I looked to the strength of Egypt or whatever you're looking to, before I looked elsewhere, but now I look to you. Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, in the song it says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Charles Spurgeon has said, Nothing teaches us about the preciousness of the Creator as much as when we learn the emptiness of everything else. Looking to salvation in anything else, but our Lord Jesus Christ is empty. And when we learn that, we look at Jesus and say, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. Psalm 16, 4a, the first part of it says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. And Psalm 16, verses 8 and 9 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is, my, he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices my flesh also dwells secure. Do you see the contrast between the one who runs after other gods and the one who looks to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? It's the difference between multiplied sorrows and joy and not being shaken. I want to be the one who puts my trust in God so I cannot be shaken. My heart can be glad when situations come up that I'm not strong enough for. Sometimes what we trust in in this life are the very things that are enslaving and overseeing our destruction. Just like the Egyptians were to the Israelites, even though they looked back at them in a dire situation and said, it would have been better to stay there. They were the very ones that were enslaving them and destroying them. And that's true of us too. We run to things that are really in the long run enslaving us, destroying us. When we should look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, it gives us joy. And remember, as you look through Scripture, God does have a habit of throwing down idols, sometimes violently. Pastor Pat brought one up uh, a while ago on social media, I think it was, but he referred to, to Dagon, I think, of the Philistines, a statue that they had set up, and God threw it down. They set it back up. God threw it down again and broke pieces of it off. <laughs> he throws them down violently. I think it's better not to be holding on to those idols when he does it. That's not a pleasant experience. As we look to God for our salvation also, we need to stop trying to be our own redeemer. What do I mean by that? Is some of us think that, um, Jesus, thank you for the salvation. Thank you for saving me. Thank you that my sins are forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven, but I've got it from here. I can take it from here. I can, I can handle this life on my own now. And so we try to be our own redeemer. This is what Brad Bigney says in his book, Gospel Trees, in a book I recommend you read. Um, but he is, uh, even, even Moses in the Song of Moses here in chapter 15, how much do you actually see Moses talking about himself in the song? He doesn't. He doesn't talk about himself. He talks about the power of the Lord, the saving power of the Lord to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians. We need to stop putting ourselves as the role of redeemer in our lives that we can't handle it. Remember, it's in our, it's in our weakness that he is strong, not in our, our proud looks and our, our I've got this. That's not humility before God. Humility before God is, God, I need you. I can't do this. A.W. Tozier, one of my favorite writers, said this, the reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, 
still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. Are you willing to humble yourself? Stop being your own redeemer, realizing that you need the gospel every day, not just for your salvation, but for your sanctification, for God making you like Jesus. And also as we put our trust in God for our salvation and Jesus for our salvation, we can trust in his faithfulness for the future. Look at Exodus 15 verses 13 through 17. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the elders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Israelites could look out, and Moses was trying to help them remember this. They could look out at the future, all these peoples that they were coming up against. God is going to fight those battles as well. He's going to be faithful in the future for what we have looking out at the desert. God's going to be faithful to us as we look out at the future. He always keeps his promises. He's sovereign. He's always good to us. We can trust in him for the future as well. A man named John Rice said, worry is putting question marks where God has put periods. Worry is putting question marks where God has put periods. Here's a period that God has put on your life if you're a believer. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a verse that I've read over and over and over these past months. God has put a period on that in my life. I'm his child. I'm one of his people. And when I worry, when I look at the future, I'm putting a question mark where God has put a period. I'm putting a question mark on if he's faithful, if he really loves me, and so on and so on. But I'm his child. He loves me. If you're his child, there's no condemnation for you. God has put a period on the gospel. If you are not a believer this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you don't know what the future holds as far as your eternity. You can know. We love the gospel here at Sailorville Church. The gospel tells us that God created us all for his glory, to know him, to have a relationship with him. But we, in our sin, went our own way. We decided that our way was better. And so we went our own way and not God's way. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in Romans chapter 3. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's perfect mark of perfection. All of us, myself, everybody, except for Jesus. He was the perfect God-man. And he was the one that was able to go to the cross, to die on that cross, taking all of the world's sin on himself. That if you put your faith and trust in him, him alone, not anything that you do. Put your faith and trust in him alone for your salvation. That salvation belongs to you. Romans 6, 23 said, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Outside of Christ, you're separated from him and you're destined for death, eternal death in hell, as the scripture tells us. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he did this not while you had everything cleaned up, not while you got to be a better person. Then he, you know, he didn't, you didn't get to be a better person and he looks at you and says, well, now you're cleaned up enough. Now you can be my child. No. Scripture tells us, but God commended his love toward us in this, in that while we were still sinners, still his enemy, Christ died for us. And in Romans 10, it says, all 
who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you call out to Jesus and you stop looking at all these other things for your salvation, nothing else outside of Jesus can save you. You must believe that. You don't look to anything else, but you fix your eyes, put your trust fully on what Jesus did for you on the cross, that he not only died, but he rose again and is alive right now. Put your trust in him. He'll save you. He'll give you eternal life. It's true. It's in God's word. And we put all our faith and trust in God's word. Spurgeon has said something else. I love this quote. The Lord will make a way for you where no foot has been before. That which, like a sea, threatens to drown you shall be a highway for your escape. You may feel like you're in a desperate situation, like you're struggling with fear, you're looking out at the future, and maybe you see darkness, maybe you see bleakness. That's what the Israelites maybe saw too as they came to the other side of the sea. But we don't have to see that. We can put our trust in the Lord Jesus. He's going to make a way. Where he calls us to go, he makes a way. He promised Moses and the Israelites he would deliver them, and he did the impossible, the, the humanly impossible, and split the sea, let them walk through it on dry ground, destroyed their enemies. God has destroyed our enemy. He has destroyed sin and death through his work on the cross, his, his resurrection. He has destroyed our enemy. We can put our faith and trust in him. He never fails. He never, ever goes back on his promises. Every one of them comes true. You must believe it. If you're struggling with fear and, and doubt, um, or if you have any questions about uh, the salvation I've spoken about from God's word, um, you can get in touch with us here at Southerville Church. Um, we provide information so that you can get a hold of us. We'd be happy to talk to you about it. We love talking about the gospel. Apply this to your life. Ask these three questions. Where do I find my strength? What, do I, what song do I have on repeat? Where do I look to, for my salvation? Ask those three questions. Answer them correctly, rightly in your life. It'll keep pointing you back to Jesus. And we can put our trust in him.